Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 93 of the show, and it is a fantastic episode for you. Lots of football talk between college and the NFL. Uh, New rankings in college football, and another crazy week of NFL football. And then uh, Major League Baseball, we have reached the end of the season. Playoffs are starting, so we'll do a, a wild card round playoff preview and uh, plenty of news and topics from across the uh, NFL, MLB, uh, NHL, and college football once we get to around the island. But we are going to start off on the PGA Tour. Now, in the interest of time, uh, because we have a lot of football, baseball to get into, uh, I'll keep the PGA Tour segment short. This past weekend's tournament was the Sanderson Farms Championship. That was at the Country Club of Jackson in Jackson, Mississippi, Par 72, distance was 7,461 yards. Last week I mentioned how this was the second PGA Tour event of the year. Uh, We had uh, one event, and then, of course, the President's Cup gave us a one-week break from the tour uh, schedule, and then we were back at it this past week. This was the ninth year that the course has hosted the Sanderson Farms Championship uh, it was redesigned in 2008, so uh, certainly a newer, newer looking course. The field uh, was was very average, uh, maybe slightly above average. We did have three golfers uh, compete in this thing that played in the Presidents Cup the week prior. That was Sam Burns, Sebastian Munoz, and Christian Bezadenhout. Now, interestingly enough, Sebastian Munoz had won this Sanderson Farms Championship back in 2019, and Sam Burns was the defending champion. Uh, heading into this thing this past weekend. We also had five golfers in the field from Mississippi, including a fabulous rookie from last year, Davis Riley. So uh, he was out there, some other names, Sahith Gala, Harris English, J.T. Poston, some other recognizable names. Pretty good golf tournament. Just because the field wasn't great doesn't mean the golf wasn't. Uh, great golf all weekend. We actually had a playoff hole to determine the result. Both Mackenzie Hughes and Sepp Straka finished at 17 under par, uh, which forced a playoff. They replayed the par 4 18th. They both parred it. Then they replayed the par 4 18th again, and Mackenzie Hughes made a spectacular birdie putt uh, on that 18th hole. Uh, third, third shot was nice putt and um, sank it to win. So Mackenzie Hughes was your winner in a playoff hole over Sepp Straka. This was Mackenzie Hughes' second career victory on the PGA Tour, his first in six years. Uh, it was 2,142 days since his last victory, which was the 2016 RSM Classic. So uh, great birdie putt, second career victory. Like I said, Sepp Straka solo second. Derek Higo at 16-under was solo third. He played pretty well all weekend. And then uh, Dean Burmeister finished at solo fourth, 15 under par. Uh, We had four golfers that tied for fifth at 13 under par. Emiliano Grillo, Nick Hardy, Keegan Bradley, and Mark Hubbard. So, again, very competitive uh, tournament, especially for, you know, not really a great field. Uh, The President's Cup uh, players did not play all that well. I think they, they spent most of their energy uh, the week prior, and uh, so none of them finished uh, anywhere near the top. But uh, like I said, no big names, but still a good tournament. And that brings us to this weekend's tournament, which uh, is certainly a, a, a better tournament. It's the Shriners Children's Open. That's at TPC Summerlin in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's a par 71 Distance 7,255 yards. Just an absolutely beautiful course. 
It's one of the staple courses on tour. Of course, it's a private club there in Vegas, so you know the weather is going to be great. Has some uh, some pretty lush bent grass greens, a lot of water on this course, numerous water features, and a new it's a newer layout. Uh, I don't know when the last time they redesigned it, but it's kind of a new newer style layout. Uh, the course kind of winds through some arroyos and some canyons. Of course, there in Vegas in the desert, you have uh, that kind of stuff. Gonna gonna be pretty tough. Gonna uh, that par seventy one is gonna play really really difficult. Uh, but Vegas, the field for this thing, of course, it's Vegas, so it brings out the best. Uh, we don't have um, too many top ranked players uh, at the top portion of the official world golf rankings. Patrick Cantlay is, is the highest ranked golfer in the field, but we do have 12 out of the top 50 inside the official world golf rankings teeing it up. So we do have 12 out of the top 50. So that is a really good field and some names that you'll recognize playing this weekend. Um, a lot of president's cup players. You have Patrick Cantlay, like I mentioned, the highest ranked player in the field. You have Max Homa, uh, both of them are from Team USA, and then international team representatives uh, playing in this tournament. Tom Kim, the sensation that he's become. Cam Davis, Siwoo Kim, K.H. Lee, Mito Pereira, Taylor Pendrith, Christian Bezadenhout, and defending champion Sung J. M. Just completely uh, annihilated this course last year. He won by four shots, uh, so I would certainly look for any of those guys to compete, um, specifically M. Cantlay. You know, Tom Kim wouldn't surprise me if he was up there. Uh, we do have a total of five major champions in the field for this thing. So, like I said, certainly a much better field than last weekend. And uh, I didn't tune into any of the Sanderson Farms Championship, but uh, I probably will tune into some of the Shriners Children's Open uh, just because that course is pretty exquisite. And uh, we do have a decent field uh, in this thing. So, uh, like I said, if you if you want want to watch some golf this weekend, it should be should be pretty competitive. We should see some some mildly low scores. I don't know if we'll get to 17 under uh, on this course, but uh, it certainly is possible the way that uh, these golfers are playing these days. But uh, yeah, Shriners Children's Open this weekend, and we'll uh, we'll check back in next week and see how that tournament unfolded. But we'll move over to the National Football League and recap another great week of football in Week Four. Uh, but another week of football means we also had some pretty pretty bad injuries that uh, went down as well. This week, uh, week four, this past week, I should say, uh, featured the first of three NFL games in London. All right, That game was early on Sunday morning here in the States, and it was the Minnesota Vikings and New Orleans Saints. This game was absolutely nuts. It went back and forth. The Vikings kicked a late field goal to go ahead by three. And then as time expired, the Saints were attempting a field goal to tie it. It was from 61 yards. Uh, Saints kicker Will Lutz put up a good kick. Uh, it kind of faded left a little bit and uh, hit the left upright, bounced down off of the crossbar. So we had the double doink bounced out after that. So that is how New Orleans lost. It was just absolutely brutal. Um, you know, I mean, you it's bad enough to hit one upright, but to hit two uh, two crossbars, two posts, you know, it was uh, difficult for the Saints there, dropped them to one and three. And then the other game that was really wild was the Detroit Lions and the Seattle Seahawks, all right? This game was absolute banana land. Seahawks won that one 48 to 45. We had over 90 points scored, um, which for those of you counting at home, that score of 48-45 is a scoregami. It is the 1,073rd unique final score in NFL history. So a lot of points for two teams that aren't great. All right, I'll have more on that when we get to the standings update here in a minute. Um, Miami Dolphins, all right, uh, some news. Just well, well, we'll tie this into the standings update. Uh, basically, we'll start off in the AFC. The AFC East, the Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills are 3-1. and one. Miami uh, ended up losing this week on Thursday Night Football this past week to two, uh, to the Cincinnati Bengals. Tua Tagovailoa, the quarterback for the Dolphins, ended up getting hurt in the first half. He got slammed down and hit his head again, was concussed, you know, and uh, his fingers locked up. Pretty scary scene. I'm sure you've seen it by now. 
basically, uh, that, that came on the heels of Tua getting hurt and concussed, or supposedly concussed, in week three's game against um, Buffalo. And he had gotten cleared by an unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant in that game to come back in. Well, that consultant uh, has been fired after it was found that he made several mistakes in his evaluation in week three of Tua. So they've already ruled Tua out here for week five, which they did on Monday this past week. So that um, you don't usually see somebody getting ruled out, but I don't think the Dolphins really had a choice in that one. Um, he certainly wasn't going to play, uh, with, especially given the uh, the head injury history there, back-to-back weeks with, with head trauma. So they're keeping two out for this one. Buffalo got a, a good win uh, against Baltimore this past week in which they were down by 17 points. It was the large, largest comeback of Josh Allen's career so far. Uh, Buffalo still looks very good. They're still plus 56 in the point differential through four weeks, which is just insane. Uh, the New York Jets are two and two, and the New England Patriots are one and three. All right, they uh, uh, their only win is against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, um, AFC North: Cleveland Browns, Cincinnati Bengals, and Baltimore Ravens are all two and two. All right, this division we know it's always a slugfest, always a grinded out division. Uh, Cleveland has been very close. Uh, they're two and two, but they're still plus ten in point. If they could very easily be four and zero. Oh, um, but th- they didn't have Miles Garrett this past week from his car accident, the injuries he sustained. They're getting, I believe, they're getting him back this week potentially. Uh, Cincinnati, after going 0-2 to start, they've won two in a row, so uh, they're they're finally starting to play well. Uh, Baltimore Ravens, they're two and two, had a tough loss against Buffalo where they blew a 17-point lead. Uh, Cincinnati and Baltimore actually play each other this week in Week Five on Sunday Night Football, so that'll be a good one to watch. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, they're 1-3, and three, last in that division, only a game back. Uh, they have officially moved on from Mitch Trubisky. They have named Kenny Pickett the starting quarterback, rookie, first-round pick. So he played pretty well, and uh, in, in he came in, uh, I, I want to say, maybe the second, second quarter of that game this past week. But uh, he is officially the starter for at least the time being. Steelers' schedule is just brutal. Uh, I would be shocked if they won any of their next four games. So we'll see on that. Pittsburgh could be in a very, very bad shape here in a couple of weeks. The AFC South, Jacksonville Jaguars and Tennessee Titans are both 2-2. Two and two. Uh, Jacksonville, you know, they, they look like they're for real. Um, they didn't play real well. Uh, they were up 14-0 against Philly, came out strong, but weather was kind of a factor, a lot of rain. Trevor Lawrence fumbled the ball four times, had five total turnovers, threw an interception. So not what you want to see there in Jacksonville, but they could certainly be 3-1, and one, uh, but they're only 2-2. Two and two. Tennessee, after starting 0-2, they've won two games in a row. Tennessee's 2-2. Two and two. They're minus 26 in point differential, though. So Derrick Henry's finally starting to play well. So Tennessee's looking like uh, they're going to be in contention for that division. Indianapolis Colts, they are 1-2-1. One, uh, they had a nice win this past week, um, and we'll we'll see. I mean, they're they're still in the mix. Obviously, it's early in the season, uh, but they got their first win. Then the Houston Texans are o three and one. All right, they tied their first game and have lost their last three. So uh, certainly don't expect Houston to win more than about three or four games this year. Uh, over in the AFC West, the Kansas City Chiefs are three and one. They just continue to roll. Um, they had a great win on Sunday night football against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, just completely annihilated them. Patrick Mahomes was his usual self, being a magician, uh, spinning around, throwing jump passes, and it was a thing of beauty. In fact, in that game, Patrick Mahomes became the fastest quarterback in NFL history to pass for 20,000 yards. It took him only 67 games Uh that record was previously held by Matthew Stafford, who had done that in 71 games. So he beat Mahomes beat Stafford to 20,000 yards by four games. So interesting note there. The Los Angeles Chargers and Denver Broncos are both 2-2. Two and two. All right, Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert, he tied Andrew Luck for the most 300-yard passing games in his first three NFL seasons with 19 such games. 
I would certainly expect him to beat that either this week or next. So uh, he'll probably break that record here uh, coming up. Then the Denver Broncos, uh, they, they did get a win. All right, but they, oh no, they, they lost this past week. They were two and one. They lost. Um, not only did they, they lost to Las Vegas. Uh, Vegas Raiders are one and three, last in the division. But they did beat Denver this past week. And in that game, uh, Denver got hit really hard with the injury bug. Uh, running back Javante Williams tore his ACL and his LCL. So not only is he out for the year, uh, that is going to require uh, a significant rehabilitation comeback for Javante Williams. It's only his second season, so I, th- I think he'll come back, but um, he probably won't be ready uh, for about 10 to 12 months, uh, so that'll put him around the start of next season. And then um, if that wasn't bad enough, defensive end Randy Gregory, he suffered a knee injury. Uh, The scans came back. Nothing is torn, but he is going to have some surgery, arthroscopic knee surgery to kind of clean some stuff up. So he's going to be out anywhere from two to six weeks. So tough news there for Denver. They play in a absolutely hellacious AFC West. So uh, keep an eye on that. Uh, The Chiefs could, could start to control this thing. Uh, with a few more wins. Uh, Denver has the offense to to keep up. They just haven't been able to play well enough. And then I mentioned the Raiders at 1-3, and three, last in that division. They're two games behind Kansas City. But um, I do believe that um, Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, uh, they're only minus four point diff through four games, and they're 1-3. and three. So they've been in some close games. So maybe Vegas can turn it around. But um, I, I think they're probably the – the fourth best team in that division but uh moving over to the nfc the nfc east philadelphia eagles are 4-0 they're the only undefeated team in the national football league uh, and they've looked every bit of it uh, they're really good jalen hurts is playing on another level um probably the super bowl favorites right now at least betting wise and um yeah, it's just this division in, in, a, in a whole is they have the most wins uh, out of any division because the Dallas Cowboys and the New York Giants are both 3-1. and one. Cowboys quarterback Cooper Rush became the first ever Dallas Cowboys quarterback to win each of his first career starts. There's been some pretty good quarterbacks that have rolled through Dallas, and Cooper Rush is the only one to win all four of his first four games. So uh, it's it's uh, Cowboys defense is for real. Uh, they have the most pressures. I think the second most sacks. So uh, they are looking really, really tough. Got a got a good game this week against the L.A. Rams, whose offensive line is, is shoddy. So um, Dak is not going to play this week, potentially next week against uh, Philadelphia. But, yeah, Giants are 3-1 and one as well. Very fraudulent 3-1. and one. Uh, They're not a good team. Um, they, they've played okay. Saquon Barkley has certainly reemerged as one of the best running backs in the league. So keep an eye on that. Uh, but the Giants are 3-1, and one, and then the Washington Commanders are 1-3. All right, so not. Uh, I think Washington's probably eliminated uh, from this division at this point. I know it's a long season, but the way Philly's playing, uh, what, the way Dallas, is, their defense is playing, uh, getting Dak Prescott back here in the next week or so, I, uh, you know, it's going to be a two-horse race in that division. Uh, over in the NFC North, the Minnesota Vikings and the Green Bay Packers are both 3-1. and one. Vikings got that big win in London, like I mentioned. Packers uh, had a good win um, this past week, and uh, they've won three in a row. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is finally looking like he's feeling comfortable with his young receivers. So, you know, keep an eye on Green Bay. Certainly can't count out Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Chicago Bears are 2-2. Two and two. And they have not looked good at all. I don't know how the hell they've won two games. Uh, their offense is absolutely putrid, and um, I, you know, I, I don't anticipate Chicago making any kind of noise as we move further on through the season. And then the Detroit Lions are one and three. All right, they're one and three. Their point differential is only minus one on the season, and they're one and three. And a reason for that, I mentioned that crazy game they played in. They've actually the Lions have scored the most points in the NFL this year with 140. That's, a, that's 35 points per game average, but they also lead the league in points allowed per game with 35.3. So their, their games have been an average of 35 to 35.3, the score. So 
uh, very close. They're one and three. Uh, Dan Campbell, uh, the head coach of the Lions, has definitely got that team uh, heading in the right direction. They're building something good there in Detroit. They didn't have DeAndre Swift or Amon Ross St. Brown this past week and still were able to put up 45 points. Um, that offense is scary, but, um, yeah, they certainly have some work to do in the standings. They're two games behind the Vikings and the Packers as it sits right now. So, uh, But the Lions, they're, they're fun to watch, man. Uh, I don't think DeAndre Swift is going to play here in week five. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll have to see how they do. But the Lions, they can put points up. The problem is they just can't stop any, anybody. So, um, you know, Detroit, like I said, fun team. They're just they're still camped out there in last place in the NFC North. They're just some bad luck there for the Lions. But we'll move over to the NFC South. And this division has been fairly surprising, multiple teams. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Atlanta Falcons are both 2-2, two and two, all right? Tampa Bay started 2-0, and oh, and they've lost the last two games. Uh, fairly surprising, uh, although Tom Brady has not had his full complement of offensive weapons, wide receivers. Chris Godwin has been hurt. Mike Evans was suspended for a game, uh, but he's, he's balled out in the games that he has played. Julio Jones has been hurt, so he hasn't had a full complement of weapons, but... Uh, I figured Tampa Bay would have been either four and zero or three and one by now, um, coming into Week Five. But they're two and two. The Atlanta Falcons, uh, they are two and two as well. They started out zero and two. They've won their last two games, and they, after the first two weeks, it looked like they were one of the worst teams in the league. Now, I'm not saying that they're still not one of the worst teams in the league, but they're two and two, and they're tied for first in the NFC South. They did lose. Running back Cordero Patterson to a knee injury. They placed him on IR, so he's out at least the next four games, maybe closer to five or six games. But Atlanta, if, if they could figure out that quarterback position between Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter, uh, they, they might be able to do some stuff on offense, and they have some good corners uh, on the defense to, uh, to help complement that. They don't really play in a strong division. Carolina Panthers and New Orleans Saints are one and three. Now, Carolina, I don't know what the hell we expected from them with Baker Mayfield, but his his uh, first four games have been absolutely horrendous. Uh, he is not a good quarterback, and that is just being proven week after week. Uh, Carolina, it's likely that they're going to fire head coach Matt Rule sometime this season. Uh, I doubt he turns it around. Uh, Carolina is probably the worst team in that division. And the New Orleans Saints, they've lost three in a row. Uh, of course, that, that heartbreaker there in London that I mentioned, Jameis Winston didn't play in that game. He might be back this week. Uh, rookie receiver Chris Olave really looks like he's uh, the real deal in that top 15 pick that they drafted him at. So it's kind of surprising to see the Saints at one and three. I'd have figured they'd at least be two and two or three and one uh, at this point. They were a trendy pick to make the playoffs, but they're going to really have to uh, turn it on, start playing really well. They're minus 20 in point differential, so that's got to get turned around if they uh, if they want to compete in that NFC South. And then the NFC West, all right, all four teams in this division are 2-2, two and two, all right? San Francisco 49ers just put a whooping on the Los Angeles Rams on Monday Night Football this past week. Rams did not look good at all. They still obviously have uh, Cooper Cup. Uh, on offense to kind of make that thing go. Tyler Higby's becoming one of the better tight ends in football. 49ers look really good. Um, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, like I mentioned, the injury to Trey Lance actually might make San Francisco a better team this year. All right, and uh, that's kind of been proven. Uh, 49ers are playing really well. Debo Samuel, that dude is electric with the ball, and uh, that showed on Monday night. Uh, the Cardinals, they're 2-2, two and two, but... I, you know, they I, – I don't know how they've won two games. Uh, they've had a lot of close games as well, but um, I, th I feel like they've gotten rather fortuitous uh, in their four games to be 2-2. Two and two. Uh, Arizona could easily be 0-4 if it weren't for a few breaks here or there. So uh, I'm not sold on Arizona. Then Seattle somehow, again, 2-2. Two and two. Geno Smith is actually – played pretty well probably better than a lot of people would have uh, suggested that he would have played they beat the lions this past week scoring 48 points so uh, pretty impressive stuff there from seattle 
you know, so that, that division, you know, is still wide open. I just – I don't feel confident in Arizona or Seattle. I think it's going to be between San Francisco and L.A. Uh, L.A. has got a tough game against Dallas this week. And as we look forward to week five here, there are a few games. Our second game in London starts us off Sunday night – or Sunday morning, rather – New York Giants and the Green Bay Packers. Now, both of those teams are 3-1. and one. And I saw this stat on uh, SportsCenter this week. This is actually the 32nd game uh, that the NFL has played in London. Uh, they play multiple games per year over there. Uh, I believe this is either the 32nd or the 23rd game in London. So and they've played quite a few over there. This is the first game in which both teams have a winning record coming into this game. So, and oddly enough, it's the the Giants and, of course, the Packers we expect. But, you know, uh, the Giants um, somehow are 3-1. and one. But So that'll, that'll kick us off early. Uh, Pittsburgh and Buffalo, that game looks good on paper uh, just based on the names of the teams playing. But Buffalo should win that one handedly. Some other notable games. Um, I mentioned Dallas and Los Angeles, the Rams. That game is... Uh, America's Game of the Week on Fox Sunday afternoon. And then Philadelphia travels to Arizona. That, that'll that show us how Arizona is, right? If, if Philadelphia is as legit as we think, they'll smoke the Cardinals. But if the Cardinals, um, you know, they're, they're playing at home, if they want to right the ship and turn it around and, and whatnot, then it starts this week against Philadelphia. Then the Sunday night game is an AFC North battle, Cincinnati, goes to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. Cincinnati pummeled them in both games last year. We'll see if Lamar Jackson can get things back on track after a brutal loss to Buffalo this last week. And then the Monday night game is an AFC West matchup. The Las Vegas Raiders travel to Arrowhead to take on the Kansas City Chiefs. So a lot of good football in the NFL this week. I know I'll be tuned in pretty much all day Sunday, uh, Thursday night game. Indianapolis and Denver. Jonathan Taylor's out with a high ankle sprain. Uh, he should be back next week, but they're, they're ruling him out uh, for this Thursday night's game against Denver. So I'll be tuned into football all week. A lot of good games, and we'll uh, I'm sure there'll be more drama and more injuries and all that kind of stuff. We'll go over all that um, on next week's episode. But we'll move on to college football, do a top 25 AP poll rankings update. We are through five weeks of the college football season, moving into week six this weekend. And the theme for week five was that a lot of top 25 teams lost, uh, eight of them, in fact. All right. The eight teams that lost that were ranked inside the top 25 last week, number seven, Kentucky, number 15, Washington, number 16, Baylor, number 17, Texas A&M, number 18, Oklahoma, number 20, Arkansas, number 21, Minnesota, and number 23, Florida State. All of those teams lost last week. Uh, four of them played another ranked opponent, uh, but the other four played uh, an unranked team and lost to an unranked team. So, uh, But either way, eight out of 25 teams is uh, quite a few. That's about one-third uh, of the ranked teams that lost last week. Uh, a couple of the games to highlight um, – the Kentucky Ole Miss game, that was a ranked-on-ranked matchup. That game was nuts, all right? Uh, Kentucky actually scored a touchdown late in the game with about 58 seconds left. That would have uh, put them ahead by four. The touchdown was called back by a penalty, uh, and on the very next play, Ole Miss forced a strip sack, and they recovered the fumble, got the ball back, and that ended the game. Uh, the other game of note to highlight was Georgia and Missouri, all right? Uh, Georgia was trailing the entire game. They played at Mizzou, and uh, Georgia got a couple of touchdowns late to go ahead by a score uh, and then was able to fend off Mizzou. Uh, but they were literally trailing for a vast majority of this game. I think it was there was only about three or four minutes left in the game maybe whenever Georgia took its first lead. So you couple that performance with what Georgia did two weeks ago in week four against Kent State, giving up 22 points and not really blowing them out of the water like they should have. And uh, that's caused a little bit of a slide for Georgia in the in the rankings, as we'll find out here in a minute. But as we move into those rankings, uh, there were seven new teams added to the top 25 poll this week, which is the most ever 
new teams uh, in an in-season poll uh, since 1989. So we've not seen seven new teams added to any one single in-season poll since 1989. So quite a bit of movement here in the top 25, and we'll go through it. The top-ranked team in the country this week is Alabama. Uh, they're 5-0. and They actually surpassed Georgia. Uh, I mentioned Georgia's struggles. Uh, Alabama had a huge win against Arkansas on the road. Looked pretty good, even though Bryce Young got hurt. Uh, we're not sure on his status for Saturday, so keep an eye on that. Jalen Milrow, the backup quarterback, looked really good. So, uh, he, you know, Bama should be okay there. Georgia slid down to number two. Like I said, two weeks in a row of not great performances. Uh, they got wins, but they weren't, they weren't pretty. Uh, so Georgia dropped down to number two. Still one of the best teams, obviously. Number three is Ohio State. Uh, they're staying in that three spot uh, temporarily. Uh, they got Michigan State on the road this week. Shouldn't be another easy win for them. Number four, Michigan. Uh, they looked good again this week. Uh, they have another fluff game against Indiana, so I would look for the Wolverines to be 6-0. and Number five is Clemson. Uh, they're 5-0. and uh, They've looked pretty good uh, pretty much all season. Uh, number six, USC. Uh, they got a tough one at home this week against Washington State, who was ranked a couple weeks ago. Uh, still going to be a tough game. USC's last couple games have kind of they kind of squeaked by. Uh, not real, again, not real stylish, but a win is a win. Number seven, Oklahoma State. Man, they looked really good against Baylor this past week. Pretty much laid the hammer down, um, and certainly not a team you want to mess with. Uh, number eight is Tennessee. They're 4-0. They look really good. If they can get a road win at LSU this weekend, which is one of the best games on the docket, then uh, they'll be sitting really pretty for uh, <clears throat> you know an SEC title game run, potentially. We'll see. Number nine is Ole Miss. They're 5-0. and uh, They got Vanderbilt this week. Not going to be an issue with that. So uh, Tennessee should... You know, Tennessee and Ole Miss, you know, they got one has a tough game, one has an easy game. So we'll see how that goes. But both of those teams look really good. Uh, Penn State is number 10. They got uh, they got a 5-0 and record right now. And um, they just, again, they're, they're tough. They had a great win a couple weeks ago at Auburn. Uh, really solid team. Uh, and I, I certainly – wouldn't want any piece of them right now. Number 11 is Utah. Uh, they go uh, down to Los Angeles to play UCLA this week, another ranked matchup, so that'll be a good game. Number 12 is Oregon. Uh, they're in Arizona this week. <clears throat> they uh, Their only loss is that ugly one in week one to Georgia, but they look really good. Bo Nix is playing on another level, certainly looking like the five-star uh, prospect that he was. Number 13 is Kentucky. Uh, they're down six spots after their loss last week, but uh, still a, a pretty good team there in that SEC. Number 14 is North Carolina State. Uh, they're down four spots after their loss to Clemson. Uh, they were competitive most of the game. It was a really good game back and forth. Uh, Clemson, you know, just a little too much, but North Carolina State proved that they belong in that same sentence. Number 15 is Wake Forest. Uh, they're up seven spots, and uh, both North Carolina State and Wake Forest, their only losses are both to Clemson. So uh, ACC looking like they uh, got a few good teams out there. Number 16 is BYU. They got a tough one on the road in South Bend this week against Notre Dame. So we'll see if, uh, uh, you know, Notre Dame's kind of underperformed this year. BYU has, has really played well, so we'll see what gives there. Number 17, TCU. They're 4-0, fresh off their dominating performance uh, over Oklahoma last week, just a complete beatdown, which just made my heart really happy. I love seeing Oklahoma get beat, uh, especially like that. Uh, they got a tough one in Lawrence this week uh, at Kansas. College game day is going to be there, um, and that that's going to be a real good game. Uh, TCU's offense is, is for real. And uh, that's that's going to be a fun one to watch. Number 18 is UCLA. They're five and zero. Had a big win last week. Uh, I mentioned they go uh, they play at home against Utah, so that's going to be a fun one this weekend. Number 19 is Kansas. The Jayhawks are five and zero. 
for the first time since 2009, which was also the last time that they appeared in a top 25 poll. So Kansas is having a season like they've not had in a very long time. Uh, They are 19th in the country. They have a huge home matchup against number 17 TCU. I mentioned college game day will be in town. Uh, Lawrence, Kansas has hosted a lot of college game day, but that is for usually for college basketball, not for football. This first time football college game day has been there. And uh, so it's going to be a scene there in Lawrence. It's going to be a good game. If Kansas can play like they did the first couple of weeks, uh, it'll be a really good game. But TCU is going to bring it. So uh, Kansas will have the home crowd backing them. So that's going to be a barn burner there. Number 20 is Kansas State. Both Kansas teams there, 19 and 20. Kansas State is a wagon. Uh, Adrian Martinez, that guy is, uh, you know, maybe not the best passing quarterback, but he might be the best rusher of any quarterback in the country. Uh, The dude scores two or three rushing touchdowns a game. They go to Ames this week for Iowa State, so uh, I'd look for Martinez to keep it running. Number 21's Washington. Uh, they slid down a bit after their loss this past week, but they're still good. They're 4-1. and one. Number 22 is Syracuse. Uh, kind of really out of nowhere in the ACC there. Uh, that's a basketball school, not a football school. They do have a couple of decent wins this year, one of them being against Purdue. Uh, they got a tough one this week in North Carolina State. So, all right, that's next week. They're on a bye this week. They got North Carolina State next week, so... Uh, that's going to be a, a tough one there for them. Number 23, Mississippi State. They had a huge win over Texas A&M at uh, home this week in Stark, Vegas. So uh, they got Arkansas at home this week. So that should be another good, exciting, and challenging game for them. Number 24, Cincinnati. They are 4-1. and one. Not quite making enough noise like they did last year obviously they lost a lot of NFL talent but still up there in the top 25 they're at home against South Florida this week and then number 25 is LSU they're four and one Uh, they lost their first game but they've won four in a row got a huge one at the crib this week Death Valley against Tennessee so uh, we'll see Brian Kelly's got those Tigers playing really well they're going to be at home Uh, on a Saturday afternoon uh, against Tennessee. So uh, I'd look for LSU to at least certainly uh, play well and compete. But um, a lot of good football coming at us this week. Uh, We have three ranked matchups this week. Number eight, Tennessee against number 25, LSU, like I just mentioned. Number 11, Utah against number 18, UCLA. I mentioned that. And then the last one I mentioned, number 17, TCU against number 19, Kansas. So those are your three ranked matchups. Uh, in my opinion, the biggest game of the week is right here in Dallas. It is the Red River Showdown between Texas and Oklahoma at the State Fair of Texas. Uh, this is the first meeting between these two teams uh, in a long time in which neither team is ranked. Uh, normally one of these teams or both of these teams are ranked. Uh, my opinion is that Texas should be ranked. I know they're 3-2, and two, but uh, the record doesn't put them up there with the others that are ranked. But Man, they had that one-point loss to Alabama and then an overtime loss on the road against Texas Tech. So they've, they've been in all their games. Um, Texas is a seven-point favorite, all right? I'm not sure. You know, I, I'd like to think that that's going to be the case. I've watched a lot of Texas Longhorn football over the years, and uh, I'm just, you know, I, I feel good. This is probably the best I've felt about the Longhorns going into this game in quite some time. I think Texas is going to get Quinn Ewers back. So, uh, But that game is going to be – uh, 11 a.m. Central, 12 noon Eastern uh, on ABC, I believe. It's always one of amazing games of the college football season, one of the best rivalries. And uh, I will be spending my Saturday afternoon watching that game every snap of it. So uh, we will check back in next week and see how uh, top 25 looks after this week. But we'll move on to Major League Baseball, and uh, we're not going to do a standings update. Obviously, we've reached the end of the regular season, but we have reached October, and October baseball means playoff baseball. So we're going to preview the first four wild card series, uh, two in the American League, two in the National League. I'll give you my predictions, and uh, we're going to start off in the American League, the 
team that finished as the first wild card is the Toronto Blue Jays. They are hosting the second wild card team, the Seattle Mariners. All right, now I will make note the wild card series are the best of three. So it's the first one to win two games, moves on. So Seattle will play at Toronto for the first series in the American League. Uh, Seattle actually clinched their first playoff berth since 2001, right? They have not been in the playoffs since 2001. Basically, the last time the Mariners were in the playoffs, Ichiro Suzuki was a rookie. This year's rookie phenom, Julio Rodriguez, was nine months old. The first version of the iPod was released. Uh, The movie Shrek was released in theaters. Harry Potter was the number one movie in theaters. And Fallen by Alicia Keys was the number one song on the air. So I say all of that to tell you that it has been a long-ass time since the Mariners have been in the playoffs. Now, if you go back and uh, listen to the baseball preview episode back uh, at the end of March that I did, I told you that the Seattle Mariners were going to make the playoffs this year and compete for the American League, and I still believe that. Now, Seattle and Toronto are probably my two favorite American League teams outside of the Texas Rangers, so uh, I'm, whoever wins this series is who I'm rooting for to win the World Series, all right? So I'd be happy with either one winning. Uh, these teams met seven times during the regular season. Uh, Seattle won five of those seven games, all right? Uh, the, the winner of this series goes on to play the number one seed in the American League, which is the Houston Astros, okay? So best of three, I am predicting that the Seattle Mariners win this series in three games, all right? I think Robbie Ray, Luis Castillo, they went out the trade deadline and, and got, you know, a, another ace pitcher in Castillo. I think that's going to be the difference over Toronto. They do have Kevin Gossman, Jose Barrios, but... Uh, I just like the Mariners. Um, Julio Rodriguez is back. He's healthy, and he hit a home run in his uh, in the last game of the season. He's phenomenal rookie season. I think he's going to be a catalyst for that team. The Mariners always find a way to come back. They'll be trailing. Uh, they always come back, and I know they're on the road for this series, but uh, give me the Mariners to beat the Blue Jays in three games. The other series in the American League is the third wild card team, the Tampa Bay Rays traveling to Cleveland to take on the Guardians, who finished as the number three seed in the American League. They are the American League Central champions. Uh, this These two teams are pretty evenly matched. Uh, I think offensively, they're, they're about similar. All right. Uh, Jose Ramirez for the Guardians is one of the best, uh, probably top 10 player in all of baseball. Had 125 RBIs this year. Uh and then on the Tampa Bay side, you have uh, Wander Franco, uh, one of the younger players in the league, very, very good. Pitching, they both have one ace. Tampa Bay, of course, Shane McClanahan started the All-Star game this year. And Cleveland is Shane Bieber. Now, Bieber had a little bit of an up-and-down year. Uh, wasn't real great to begin with. Uh, kind of picked it up towards the end of the season, so that bodes well for Cleveland. They do play all these games at home. Um These two teams met six times during the regular season, and Cleveland won four of those games. Now, uh, the winner of this series plays the number two seed in the American League, the New York Yankees. So they get a date with Aaron Judge and the Yankees if they win. And this is a coin flip series to me. I'm going to take the Tampa Bay Rays. I think they'll get game one because Shane McClanahan will pitch, So and they will only have to win one more. I, I, I just think that Tampa Bay... Uh, is going to win this series for no other reason than it's just a coin flip. So give me Tampa Bay in two games. Um, Over in the National League, uh, the first series in the National League, the top wild card team is the New York Mets. All right, They spent 170 days in first place in the National League East and ended up losing the division uh, to the Atlanta Braves at the end of the season. So the Mets end up as the first wild card they will be at home against the number two wildcard team, the San Diego Padres, okay? Um, The Padres went out at the trade deadline and made the biggest splash, getting Juan Soto, all right? They have um, Hugh Darvish and Joe Musgrove on the mound. Now, the New York Mets, they have obviously two of the best five pitchers in baseball between Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom. So the pitching edge, I would say, 
uh, goes to the Mets. You know, the Mets, the lineup is pretty good with Lindor and uh, Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso. Uh, Jeff McNeil is the National League batting champion this year at 326. So, you know, they do have a solid lineup, but any lineup that features guys like Manny Machado and Juan Soto in the same lineup um, to go with other guys like Jake Cronenworth, uh, Jerks and Profar, uh, I just think the Padres lineup is better and their pitching has been good enough. If Musgrove pitches like he did for a majority of the year, uh, I think uh, it's it's going to be uh, a lot tighter of a series than most people expect. Now, obviously, if the if it gets late in the game and the Mets have a lead, uh, Edwin Diaz, the best closer in baseball, bring out the trumpets for him. That game is over. So uh, these two teams met six times in the regular season, and San Diego Padres actually won four of those games. So uh, I am picking the San Diego Padres to win this series in three games. I think they'll split the first two. I think Scherzer will go out there in game one, get a victory, and then Joe Musgrove in game two will get a victory for the Padres. But um, I like I like the Padres in this series. The winner of this series goes on to play the number one seed in the National League, the Los Angeles Dodgers, who uh, did nothing but win over 100 games and looked dominant for much of the year. So give me the Padres to beat the Mets. Other National League series is the number three seed, St. Louis Cardinals, the NL Central Division champion, at home against the third-place wildcard team, the Philadelphia Phillies, all right? So this series, uh, the Phillies actually ended a playoff drought of their own. Uh, They have not made the playoffs since 2011, not quite as long as, as the Mariners, but the last time the Phillies were in the playoffs, Snapchat was launched, the app. Uh, Game of Thrones was released on HBO. The movie Moneyball came out in theaters. And the number one song on the radio at the time it was Moves Like Jagger by Maroon 5. So a little bit of comparison there. Uh, that's certainly more relevant than uh, some of the stuff that uh, was around the last time the Mariners made the playoffs. But uh, I say that to tell you, again, it's been a while since the Phillies have been in the playoffs. They have a good lineup. Uh, JT Real Muto. Kyle Schwarber hit 45 home runs this year. And then, of course, Bryce Harper doing what he does. So the the Phillies lineup is very good. Uh, They have two top quality pitchers in Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. So that's a very good team. But the St. Louis Cardinals, their lineup is just as good from top to bottom. Getting started with uh, Tommy Edmond, terrific player, uh, Brandon Donovan. And then you got guys in the middle of the order like Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, who is the betting favorite to win the National League MVP award. So, um, I, you know, in St. Louis, you know, they have uh, Adam Wainwright. They went out and got Jose Quintana. They have Jack Flaherty, Mike Mikolas. Uh, you know, I think they their, their rotation is good enough. The back end of the bullpen, if they get to Ryan Helsley, uh, again, that game is over because he is, he is a terrific closer, was in the All-Star game this year. St. Louis has home field advantage. Uh, These two teams met seven times during the regular season. Philadelphia won four of those seven. But in this series, I am taking the St. Louis Cardinals for a two-game sweep. I just think um, their lineup is too good. Uh, The Phillies, you know, there's a reason that they've missed the playoffs the last 10 years, 11 years. So uh, give me the Cardinals to beat the Phillies and move on. The winner of that series plays the number two seed in the National League, the Atlanta Braves. All right, now the Braves, they won their fifth straight NL East division title. And I mentioned the New York Mets led the division for 170 days. Well, the Atlanta Braves only held outright first place in the NL East for six days all season, and they won the division. So that's the second fewest amount of days uh, leading a division uh, and winning it. So... Um, you know, just, uh, the Braves also finished the season without being swept in any single series this season, which to me is probably more impressive, uh, because you play, you know, 162 games and I don't know how many each series is, you know, three or four games. So that's, uh, that's a lot of series and they didn't get swept once. So that tells you the Braves can play. Their lineup is very good. Um, they're only the third team ever to not get swept in a single season. 
And the only other two teams to do that were the 2002 and 2004 Atlanta Braves. So, uh, you know, they're the defending World Series champions. They're going to be a tough out. But, yeah, so the winner of the, the Phillies and Cardinals gets a date with the defending champion Atlanta Braves. So these playoff games get started uh, on Friday, October 7th. They'll have uh, one game from each series on that uh, Friday starting at, I think it's noon Eastern. So there'll be baseball all day on Friday lot to watch this weekend. The series will carry over into Saturday and Sunday. And uh, by the time next week's episode rolls around, we will be uh, well into the divisional round. And uh, we'll give you some um, predictions, per se, as much as we can with the series kind of already being underway. But, um, you know, just so we can have it on record. Um, I, I've been all over the Mariners in the American League. I don't think they're the best team in the American League. But I do think they can play well enough that uh, I'm just going to go on a dark horse pick just right now up front and say that the Mariners are going to win the American League. And in order to do so, they'd have to get by uh, Toronto, uh, Houston, and then the winner of the other two series, possibly the Yankees, you know, we'll see. But uh, I like Seattle, and in the National League, how can you not take the Dodgers, right? Um, you know, they won the World Series a couple years ago. They won a, over 100 games this year. Uh, if there's a team in the National League that I think can challenge them, certainly Atlanta, uh, but I also, depending on how the uh, the Padres hit, the Padres might have the very best hitting lineup uh, in the National League, so... If they can get their pitching nailed down. They got Josh Hader, too, as a closer, the Padres do. So, you know, I, I do like the Padres. Uh, they have a tough first-round matchup, but um, I like the Dodgers and the Mariners to uh, be in the World Series. So we'll we'll see. Mariners pick's kind of a sleeper pick, but um, if they do end up making it, I can say you heard it here first. So, But there'll be lots of baseball on all weekend, and, um, you know, it's playoff baseball. It's different than regular season baseball. So I'll probably check in on some of that this weekend in addition to all the football I'll be watching. So we'll check back in next week and see who is playing in the divisional round. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. That's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. And quite a bit to get into. I think we hit all uh, of the major sports here. Uh, we'll start off in the National Hockey League. Just a couple of quick contract extensions that were handed out this week. The New York Islanders, they re-signed forward Matthew Barzell, eight years, $73.2 million. So he's he's a great young center, and um, he is going to be on, on the Islanders for the next eight years. So a lot of money for Barzell. But, uh, you know, when he's on his game, he's really good. And then, to me, the most important signing that we've seen is the Dallas Stars, all right? My beloved Dallas Stars, they re-signed forward Jason Robertson, four years, $31 million, okay? This is important because Jason Robertson had been holding out for a new contract this offseason, has not been at training camp or any of the preseason games. And uh, he's coming off of a 40 Three forty-four goals last year, uh, I think. So, terrific season. Uh, he's you know he's got the size, the speed, and he is a goal scorer in the truest sense. He is absolutely key to the Dallas Stars' success. Uh, he is a first-line forward, so I'm glad that they got him signed. And uh, he doesn't have much time to get ready before the preseason, but I'm or the, before the season starts. But I'm sure uh, while he's been holding out, he's still been skating and working out. So. Robertson back on the stars on a fairly team-friendly deal. 7.75 per year is not, I would say, team-friendly, but compared to what he probably could have gotten, uh, you know, they I think they got a little bargain on that. Over in the National Basketball Association, the NBA had few free agent signings of their own. Uh, the Boston Celtics, they signed veteran forward Blake Griffin to a one-year fully guaranteed deal. I didn't see the numbers on that, but it's a one-year deal, so it's probably not too much. Blake Griffin's been in the league 100 years. I don't know how much gas he's got left in the tank, but it's a good depth signing for Boston, who made the NBA Finals last year as the Eastern Conference champions. Uh, the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, they re-signed Larry Nance Jr., two years, $21.6 million. 
Uh, he was entering the final year of a four-year contract, so now he's tied to New Orleans through the 2024-2025 season. This is important because they've already re-signed uh, guard C.J. McCollum to a massive contract, so now they got Larry Nance Jr. as well for the next couple years. The Memphis Grizzlies, they re-signed center Steven Adams. Two years, $25.2 million. Uh, Adams was also entering the final year of his contract, and he's now tied to the Grizzlies for the next three seasons at $43.1 million. So he is a massive human, uh, pretty rugged. Uh, he grabs, re- he's great defensively rebounding. Uh, just Memphis is, Memphis is on the brink of being a really legitimate uh, NBA Finals contender. They were the second seed in the Western Conference this year. And uh, he is a key piece of that team. So now the biggest contract handed out in the NBA this past week came via the Miami Heat. They re-signed guard Tyler Hero, four years, $130 million. I think Tyler Hero has only been in the league three years, I think. Uh, came out of Kentucky. Uh, he can shoot the three. He can guard. And uh, he is a terrific young player. So he gets a massive extension to stay in Miami. And again, Miami made a little bit of noise last year, and uh, that was in large part to Tyler Hero. So uh, we'll zip back over to Major League Baseball real quick, talk about a couple of contract re-signings. The Atlanta Braves, they re-signed pitcher Charlie Morton, one year, $20 million. He's kind of a good mid-to-back-end rotation guy, especially that they have Kyle Wright and Spencer Strider. Uh, Morton can fill in in that 3-4 spot in the rotation and, and be a valuable piece. And then the Los Angeles Angels, okay, they re-signed uh, utility man, pitcher, outfielder, designated hitter, Shohei Otani. One year, $30 million contract, and that was just in order to avoid arbitration. They probably would have had to pay a lot more in arbitration, uh, but they settled on $30 million. With what he's done in the past couple seasons, both pitching and hitting, this honestly seems like a lower contract than he probably should have gotten uh, or certainly would have gotten on the open market. All right, so uh, Shohei Otani finished in the top five in the American League in all major pitching categories as well as all major hitting categories. All right, so Otani is just uh, he is just one of a kind. Haven't seen anybody like it since Babe Ruth, and um, you know he is very elite. And I, after this next year in Los Angeles, I would fully expect him to test the open market and uh, probably earn a contract that's north of $300 million. Uh, but not only did the Angels re-sign Shohei Otani, they actually re-signed their manager, Phil Nevin, to a one-year contract extension. Now, if you remember, Joe Madden got fired earlier this year, and Phil Nevin took over as the interim manager. Well, they uh, removed the interim tag and signed him to a, just a one-year contract. I don't know what they could have seen that they liked. Uh, the Angels were were not great. They um, struggled all year long. They have two of the top five players in all of baseball between Shohei Otani and Mike Trout when he's healthy, and they they still can't uh, manage to get uh, into the playoffs with that. So I'm not sure what they saw in Nevin, but uh, he is there for one more year. And then I'll just uh, clean up the baseball segment here with some uh, some nuggets that I normally would have gone over in the standings update, but since we didn't do that, I wanted to move these uh, nuggets down to the Around the Island segment. Uh, speaking of the Angels, we'll stick with them for a moment. At one point earlier this week, Shohei Otani and Mike Trout had as many combined home runs as the Angels had wins, all right? Otani had 34 home runs, Trout had 39 which was at 73, that was the same amount of wins that the team had. And Trout ended up hitting his 40th home run uh, in the last or second-to-last game of the year. So those guys had combined, those two players that I've already mentioned, uh, they had as many home runs as the Angels had wins all year, which, uh, again, that is that is a problem. Uh, Los Angeles needs to spend some money in free agency to be competitive, um, but I just thought I would throw that out there. Uh, Chicago White Sox manager Tony Larusa has stepped down from managing uh, due to his health concerns. He did this, uh, I think, with about three or four games left in the regular season. He's in his 70s. He's managed multiple 
World Series winning teams. Definitely a Hall of Famer, uh, but it appears that he's probably going to retire due to declining health. The Texas Rangers uh, shortstop Corey Seager hit his 33rd home run of the season this past week, which is the most home runs ever by a left-handed hitting shortstop in Major League Baseball history. So uh, the Rangers paid out the ass for Seager in the offseason, gave him $325 million, and he rewarded them with his first year uh, hitting 33 bombs and being obviously one of the best, if not the best, bat in the Rangers lineup all season long. So I look forward to to what they can continue to put around Seager and Simeon as we move forward here, this young pitching coming up. St. Louis Cardinals, first baseman Albert Pujols. He ended his career with 703 home runs. He also passed Babe Ruth for second most RBIs all time in MLB history. So he currently sits fourth. He retired as the uh, uh, fourth most home runs in Major League Baseball history and second most RBIs in Major League Baseball history. He is absolutely a first ballot Hall of Famer in Major League Baseball, and he will certainly be in Cooperstown as soon as he is eligible. New York Yankees, how could we forget this, right? Aaron Judge, he hit his 62nd home run of the season this past Tuesday night, and of course it was against my Texas Rangers. It was here in Arlington. Uh, that 62nd home run set the single-season American League home run record. I know you've heard about it by now, uh, but what you probably didn't hear is in that game, Garrett Cole was the starting pitcher, and uh, with his performance, he became the new Single-season strikeout leader for the New York Yankees franchise with 249 strikeouts in a season. So uh, impressive stuff there from Cole, which Garrett Cole did not have a good year, uh, generally speaking. Um, Pretty high ERA, especially for somebody making $35 million a year. Uh, But he is a strikeout pitcher, and he had 249 of those, which is a new Yankees record. The Seattle Mariners, right, their game on Tuesday night this week went into extra innings. And for the top of the 10th inning, they put out catcher Luis Torrens to pitch. That's right. A catcher was pitching. They wanted to save their pitchers for the playoffs. So Luis Torrens, you're up. And not only did he get out of the inning without giving up a run, uh, he actually won the uh, Mariners won the game in the bottom of that 10th inning, meaning that Luis Torrens was the winning pitcher. All right, and Torrens became the first position player, excluding Shohei Otani, of course, to earn a pitching win since 2014. So it's been eight years since we've seen a position player get a win on the mound, and Luis Torrens just did it this week. Kansas City Royals, immediately after the season, I'm talking like within hours of their game ending, they fired manager Mike Matheny and pitching coach Cal Eldred. So uh, Royals finished dead last in the American League Central. Uh, We're pretty much there all season, uh, majority of the season. Uh, They do have some decent players on their roster, uh, but, you know, it's going to need a complete overhaul there in Kansas City. So uh, Mike Matheny just uh, got the boot. One last fact from Major League Baseball. Uh, Fan attendance was up from 2021. All right. More than 64 million fans attended Major League Baseball games this summer, uh, which is a big jump from last year, but it's still well below the pre pandemic levels of attendance that we saw in 2019. Now, that's not surprising. Obviously, attendance was zero in the 2020 season, COVID shortened. Um, And then 2021, there still were a lot of restrictions at the ballparks with regards to masks and seating and whatnot. So it's not surprising to see the fan attendance jump quite a bit this year. Um, I am kind of surprised that it's still below the 2019 levels uh, of attendance, which, you know, baseball's done a lot to try and speed the game up, uh, limiting mound visits. Um, They're about to do that even more uh, with, with, we talked about this a few episodes ago with having a certain amount of time in between uh, pitches. So baseball is trying to speed the game up and make it more watchable. Um, So I I would expect in 2023, depending on how good these playoffs get, of course, baseball playoffs are are very awesome, uh, very intense, edge-of-your-seat type stuff, especially late in the game with a one- or two-run lead. 
Uh, I would expect fan attendance to continue to rise, and uh, I think 2023 will be a year in which they pass the 2019 levels of attendance. Now, we'll close out the Around the Island segment with some college football news. Uh, The University of Wisconsin, they have fired head coach Paul Christ. Christ had been the head coach of Wisconsin for the past eight seasons, and his record was 67-26. and He led Wisconsin to an Orange Bowl victory in 2017 and a Rose Bowl appearance in 2019. But the Badgers were off to a horrendous start this year, going 2-3 and three through the first five weeks. Uh, this past game against Illinois, uh, the Badgers only had a net gain of two yards rushing. All right. Uh, they're all uh, nation running back Braylon Allen. I think he had six carries for eight yards or eight carries for six yards, something preposterous like that. But uh, that was in a loss, a blowout loss at that to Illinois. So Wisconsin said, you know what, it's time to move on. And uh, Paul Chris gets the boot. Defensive coordinator Jim Leonard He's going to take over as the interim head coach. Uh, They're already halfway through the season just about, or will be after this week. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what names get tossed in the Wisconsin hat uh, during the uh, offseason. But uh, nonetheless, Wisconsin has fired Paul Christ. Uh, But that is going to wrap up the 93rd episode of the Sports Island podcast. And uh, we got lots of exciting stuff going this weekend. Of course, uh, we have golf tournament in Vegas. Who wouldn't want to watch that, right? Major League Baseball's playoffs are getting started this weekend and uh, always some excitement there. And then, of course, college football, plenty of good games on the docket. And then the NFL, same thing as well. Plenty of excitement this weekend. Um, This is kind of one of the best times to be a sports fan. I didn't even mention the NHL. Uh, The NHL has an international series game. The San Jose Sharks and uh, Nashville Predators are are playing in, uh, I believe it's the Czech Republic uh, this weekend to open the NHL season. The regular season doesn't really get started until later this upcoming week, but uh, the International Series gets us kicked off. So that's something else to watch too. So uh, sports all around, this is probably the absolute best time of the year to be a sports fan. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to uh, watching it this weekend. So we will check back in next week with uh, lots of news and updates and uh, playoff previews of the second round series in Major League Baseball. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.